Today we have Sunil Sharma on the podcast. Sunil is the managing director of Techstars, one of the world's largest pre-seed accelerators. At Techstars, Sunil has made 76 direct investments in tech startups based in 16 countries around the world. He's also the director of Founder Institute in Toronto and Waterloo, where he has helped launch more than 350 startups. Sunil also co-hosted the Collision Conference and Web Summit, two of the biggest tech events in the world, brought them here to Toronto. And prior to Techstars, he was also a managing partner of Extreme Venture Partners, a Canadian early stage venture capital fund where he led more than 20 investments and deployed $5 million in capital. Very <laughs> big resume. Glad to have you on. Welcome to Glad the to podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks. So I kind of want to start at the very beginning. I could have went on and on. Mm. <laughs> My intro was a lot longer. I know you've also been a speaker. You've also been a judge at startup competitions. Mm. You're a very prominent figure in the tech space in Canada and globally. So I kind of just want to take mm. it back to the very beginning of how you got your start. So, Well, thanks, Mo. Yeah, it's uh, life's just a journey. And uh, mm -hmm. some, sometimes people just sort of follow the, uh, the string. And that's what I think I was doing at a certain point. Mm -hmm. um, I'm born in Canada, yeah. born in actually in the West in Edmonton. My parents are immigrants. They came from India mm -hmm. for, for education. My dad came to do his doctorate degree and then became professor and an academic yep. and so we we ended up moving a lot in Canada from the west to the Maritimes lived in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and then all the way back west to uh, British Columbia mm -hmm. to not not always to the big cities I was I'm from I'm kind of a small town Canadian Kamloops BC is where I went to high school Moncton Halifax are cities I lived in and then university in a couple spots as well yeah. okay so you were moving around yeah. a lot in Canada so when it came time to Go to university. What what did you study, or did you go to university? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I did an undergraduate degree in just in economics in Victoria in British Columbia, and then I came to Toronto for a master's degree. And it was, um, I guess, when I was a, when I was in university, one of my little hobbies or activities, student clubs, was model United Nations, like you know the kind of public speaking, model UN, yeah. simulating how those um, UN agencies work. And going to places like New York, and you know, pretending to be representing a country. And then, mm -hmm. when I was uh, finishing my my graduate degree, I saw a recruitment effort by the Canadian government to kind of recruit people to join the federal public service and the Department of Foreign Affairs. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm pretending to be one of these <laughs> folks. Maybe I should try to get the real job. And I applied, and I went through a bunch of interviews and got hired that way. So I sort of got right into the into the yeah. government world after school. Okay, so you were doing Model UN and yeah. then you started off. What was the job title you got after you applied? Oh, it was, well, they have a program or they had a program called the Management Trainee Program. And it's like a five-year, five-assignment uh, across Canada kind of government development program to put you in middle-level positions. So my first one was in Vancouver and it was with the... Um, Canada Revenue Agency doing some sort of IT function, like some something internal to that to that or to that department. Yeah. And after a little while there, which it wasn't it wasn't terribly exciting, I have to say, <laughs> uh, went to um, Montreal and I worked at the Canadian Space Agency, uh, okay. which is like a really cool um, organization facility on the south shore of Montreal, and kind of worked in the space tech field for a little while. And uh, 
and then and then started doing uh, diplomatic postings after that. So your roles were mostly like technical. Like what was like if you could give us a brief summary, whether it was like it was at yeah. the CRA and then the space agency, like what were you kind of well, doing? Well, the CRA one is like a, <clears throat> that's like a traumatic memory. I don't even know how to describe <laughs> what I did. I, I to be honest, I I took long lunches and and uh, and you know you know just kind of checked into an office and was waiting for engagement. It wasn't it wasn't terribly uh, a thrilling place, but. Um, mm-hmm. But the space agency was very different. And then that, I was helping the industry, like the space tech companies. So Canada right. actually has a really uh, good space industry for the size of country. Like, you know, we have robotics and the Canada arm, and we have satellites for communication, and big companies like Telesat and MDA and others. So our my job was to work with the industry, which I saw that kind of spoke to my interest because I'm, I'm, I'm having the conservative approach of working in the federal government with the job security and a pension that's accruing and all that. And because and, I think fundamentally I'm not a very risk-taking person by nature, which is ironic, I guess, because of the job that I do now, which is pure <laughs> risk. Yeah. But yeah, I, I did, um, yeah, sorry, I, I was working at the, at the space agency and, and then like it was able, I was able to kind of have a business focus of the role. So not just, you know, internal workings of government, but focusing on the industry side, the companies, in that case, in the space sector. So you got a like good look at some of yeah. the top leaders in the space and like, yeah. So yeah. would you like be a consultant for them or would you just go in and like help with like grants, that sort of thing? Or? Yeah, more of like a, like a, an, an, like a go between between the space agency, like the government of Canada and the industry. Cause the industry is like, just like any industry we have from automotive, um, you know, telecommunications, like all, all the creative industry that you're in, there are um, private sector constituents and interests that they have. And then there's government uh, responses that are needed. It can be like policy, taxes, it could be uh, immigration policies or, you know, direct support, find funding for programs. So I was working kind of on the f- helping companies f- fit into the Canadian space plan and say how to their benefit, how they could get some of the funding and some of the programming. So that was your first job after university? Well, it was one of my first. These were all rapid fire jobs. Yeah. One year, one year, you know, a little. Yeah, and, and you have to be kind of mobile. So I guess thinking back, yeah, I would just pick up and move from Vancouver to Ottawa to Montreal to Toronto and then Ottawa again. So after the space agency, I went back to Ottawa. But that's when I started getting more like in one department, which is the foreign affairs so department. So what was the timeline of these jobs? So you finished school, yeah. you were doing fake model UN. Yeah. And then started fake doing model it. UN and like real <laughs> government yeah. stuff. Started doing day. it for yeah. real and yeah. then went from CRA to the space agency. So yeah. And then the intellectual property office, which is like the IP body and then I got to work for them in the UN in, in Europe a little okay. while. Um, yeah. What was the timeline of that? What did that like look like? That was like a total of about 10 years of my life, I think. Yeah. Okay. So it's like yeah. <laughs> very yeah. shortened version yeah. of that. So from there, how did you get into starting your funds and investing? Yeah. So I took a job where, you know, in the foreign service, there's something called hardship postings. You hear about it. These are like hard countries to live in where the quality of life might be low or the air quality or the security risk. Well, then there's a, there's a hardship level five and then there's level like one. And I, I like the level one. That was San Diego, <laughs> California. I got posted there to open a consulate for the Canadian government, a new one. And of course, that's a pretty nice place to live. If you've been, if, I don't know if you've been there, but I spent, a, I spent four years running this consulate and, you know, basically focusing on trade relationships with Canada mm-hmm. and uh, political relations as well. A uh, border, you know, there's a border in the U.S. South and it's different than the border in the North. So just we're kind of the person that can liaise with government um, elected officials and trade association leads and the media. So a little bit of that. But um, 
when I was finishing up that role, the, there was an ask by the Canadian Venture Capital Association for some help with global fundraising and partnerships and creating more uh, interest from international LPs, they're called, like pension funds and sovereign wealth funds about investing in the asset class of startups in Canada. So I was able to kind of help the industry with some international relationships, let's say, and, and while being a diplomat. And then um, I decided that this is a very exciting industry to be in. Um, it just spoke to me that it's like, you know, helping entrepreneurs and moving really fast and and it involves money, like in making investments and uh, deploying capital. So I thought there must be a way where I can get into this industry. So that's what I took upon myself to find a, a, a way to crack into this VC private equity industry from someone who really didn't have that core background for the decade before. Mm -hmm. And what year was this when... Like you were in San Diego. Oh, so the, yeah, in the mid 2000s, like until 2008, nine is when I left. Okay. Yeah. And then so you had the government reach out and then yeah. from there you helped them. Like, were you doing it? Were you doing the work for the government of like finding yeah. LPs? And then yeah. when, when did you take a, the step to yeah. remove yourself from that and then start your first fund? Yeah. So in 2012, uh, um, I, I worked with a very small, tiny team of people to launch a, um, an accelerator that I noticed uh, was becoming a popular model in the U.S., but hadn't reached Canada. And it's an equity-based accelerator where you make investments in, in startups in a batch, and you give them a three- or four-month program of, of meetings and, uh, and a network and, um, and, and some funding, and you then kind of like show those companies off to investors um, and they're generally thought to be highly vetted companies. So you see that in programs like Y Combinator and Techstars, which we didn't have in Canada. So, so I was able to um, create that and, and raise some money from a few of those very same Canadian VC funds that were in the ecosystem, and most of them still are in the ecosystem. And then that's what that gave me my start. It was called Extreme Startups. I see. And how was it the like space at the time in Canada? Because I know in the States, like you said, that Canada hadn't caught up yet. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in Canada, prior to that, do you feel like there was a lot of opportunity for startups? Because I know Silicon Valley, like yeah. around that time period of the mid 2000s, mm -hmm. you had the um, the Web2 mm -hmm. tech boom yeah. where companies were starting. So. Yeah. yeah, at that time, you know, in the early, around the year 2012, 13, there wasn't the same amount of venture capital in Canada than some of the funds. But it was actually the moment where I think things really started to take flight here. Mm -hmm. So some of the funds that were very small are just starting then or grew to be large funds like Inovia Capital, for instance, or Relay Ventures, for instance, um, or two or Golden Ventures. They were they were smaller then and now they've, you know, raised larger funds and in investing. And the other thing that's different then from now is back then there really weren't as many US funds investing in the Canadian tech deals. And now you see a lot. You sometimes read about financings of Canadian companies where there isn't even a single VC from Canada. They're all US or sometimes international funds. Yeah. And so they're, you know, just investing in their whatever sector focus they have. And they find some great companies in Canada, which should be expected because ultimately small startups in particular are really defined by the people that work there. Mm -hmm. And Canada has a lot of really smart people and more are coming. And a lot of it as a function of immigration and and uh, the schooling system and the development of people that are just both entrepreneurial and capable. I actually saw that as well because I grew up in Waterloo, yeah. which is becoming a very prominent tech hub. Um, I know there's like a lot of companies started when I was coming up. Um, so from starting extreme, extreme startups, mm -hmm. 
So you ran three successful cohorts, 15 investments. How did you go about doing that? Because it's like you said, you didn't have really yeah. much experience yeah. in the space. How did you navigate that? Just yeah. <clears throat> jumping into something new like that where you yeah. didn't really have yeah. the experience for it? Well, in part, it was relying on the investors. Like we built a small network around us. So some of the VC funds that were putting in the money, they, they had a person that would be involved. And so, you know, sourcing these companies, um, you know, a few people were leaning in to help. Sometimes these are companies that are almost, you know, ready for an investment by a VC fund, um, but they're not, they just don't feel that they've quite hit their uh, spot yet. So they might be like a better company for an accelerator. So we would get sometimes referrals, but I think a lot of early stage investing, it comes down to the people. And if you have, if you're somebody who understands people, can be insightful into their backgrounds, character, uh, their or origination story, like what you're asking me, actually, it was interesting. Like, it's rarely do people talk about this, but I think it, it does matter. And if you can start to like understand where people are coming from and overlook what might be biases uh, across, you know, economies or cultures or cities, like that are, whether, uh, you know, known or unknown biases, if you can be aware and start to like look in, look at entrepreneurs from a slightly different or more in-depth point of view, you can discover yeah. really great talented people and you're investing so early that you're really um, taking a, a bet on the team, right? It's really the team and then the product and the market and those factors are also important. But at yeah. that stage, it's really the team that's the most important. Factor. So what qualities would you say you look for that really stand out to you when you're at that early stage investment in a founder, what do you look for? Is there like certain qualities where you're like, okay, this is it? Well, our investing at Techstars, just to jump ahead to something, has been, um, I don't know if it was deliberate or just sort of a, 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 an outcome of, of our, our, our focus, but or just our efforts, our activities, is that we've got a diaspora thesis. So we're investing in like the world's entrepreneurs. Um, so a large percentage of people who are not, um, let's say they're not born in one country like he like here. They're from emerging markets, emerging economies like in Africa or India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, um, Eastern Europe, South America. Um, there's there's uh, you know great entrepreneurs in these in these countries that are doing things that are quite. Um, important. And so if you can discover and invest in those people or in Canada, which is really becoming, um, it's no question becoming a, a good startup ecosystem, um, a good, good, good density of entrepreneurs, particularly in certain cities like this one, Toronto and a few others. Um, and I think a lot of that is fueled by the immigrants who came here over the last, you know, between zero and 25 years ago, uh, at least. Um, and th these are these are people that are by nature entrepreneurial and often very technically and or business trained, you know, very smart, very good marks in school, um, very good software developers, very good designers, very good business leaders. And also they think about the world uh, beyond just Canada. We just hit 40 million people as our population like last week, I think. So we're a small country still, even with that milestone number. and. Um, people who have different cultural backgrounds, I think, can look at the world, at a, you know, in much at a much more macro view. And I think for companies, that's kind of important because you're trying to sell. Almost always, you're selling your software or hardware or services to a global consumer. That is something that I've seen with like because I also work in the immigration space as well. Mm. And one of the things that I've noticed is the ramping up of bringing entrepreneurs here across the globe on yeah. like the startup visa program and all that mm -hmm. um so i kind of want to jump back because i know we jumped ahead yeah. to you starting tech te bringing tech stars here yeah so you had extreme startups and then you started extreme venture fund 
Well, cool. I, Extreme Ventures was one of the investors in Extreme Startups, and okay. I joined Extreme Ventures as a partner uh, on their second fund. Okay. So it was a you know Canadian pre-seed and seed fund, um, and has been running now for a quite quite a number of years. So I joined for a while, and uh, at a certain point, I, I I saw an opportunity to bring tech stars to Canada, and I I made a move to do that. So do you only invest in mostly pre-seed and seed rounds? Yeah. Or do you find yourself investing in Series A or like later stage? No, pre-seed and seed. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. From, in fact, even pre-pre-seed, if you consider, uh, <laughs> there's a pre-accelerator called Founder Institute. Yeah. That's quite well known around the world, and I've I've also been involved with that for running it in Canada now for. I think it's going to be almost 10 years um, and about 24. We're, we're running a batch. In fact, tonight there's a the fundraising final session for, for I think it's the 24th, it's either the 23rd or the 24th cohort of, and this is really early stage people. So these aren't people that necessarily um, are ready for money or are, you know, maybe now if they finish the program, which is a really tough curriculum based uh, accelerator, then I think then consider you know, quitting your day job if you if that's if you haven't done that yet, and going all in on this company if you really want to do it because you've kind of hit the starting point once you finish Founder Institute. So with Founder Institute, someone could just come to you with like an idea, and then yeah. you kind of guide them through. Yeah, like- it's mostly software, and I don't do a lot of guiding, but it's yeah. uh, mentors, people who have a good background. Like if we if we had a session which we do on. Um, PR and marketing, people like you would be there to give uh, a, a talk about what how you've seen um, storytelling uh, evolve for you know to the benefit of of different founders or companies that have had it, you feel have done a good job. Maybe you help them do it, and you can talk about it as a lessons learned for these new founders who can absorb that as they think about what they're going to do. And it's kind of like a pipeline into other programs, whether it's university incubators or angel investment groups or accelerators like Techstars. We've invested in a lot of Founder Institute grads. So I kind of want to go into how was the process, because I know Techstars is really big globally. How was the process of bringing that to Toronto? Well, it was was a couple of meetings over a period of time, trips to Boulder, Colorado, where Techstars is kind of headquartered, and uh, explaining that there's a real opportunity in Canada with entrepreneurs for a lot of the reasons I've we've talked about here in this, in this, um, podcast and, uh, and another VC fund was quite eager to do it with us. So it was real, real ventures. So we went together as a, as a group met at the airport in Denver and drove to Boulder and yeah. kind of talked to the founders of Techstars, and they agreed, yeah, Canada's, uh, it's time. Let's start one there. And then we've actually, for a while we had three running in Canada, but we're down to the one, uh, although it's a double batch now. So whether what the, the mm. Techstars Toronto is like, 24 companies a year when originally we were investing in only 10 per year. I see. Yeah. So for those people that don't know, how does Techstars work? If I'm a pre-seed company and I'm like, I need an accelerator, I need some help, some guidance. If I'm a founder and I come and I want to join, what's the process like? Right. So you apply, like we want founders from all backgrounds and all parts of the world. And there's, there's, um, what, one of the things that really separates Techstars from, uh, I think most of the other accelerators or pre-seed funds is that we are globally distributed. So just like I'm in Toronto with a, with my Techstars Toronto, I have colleagues in Los Angeles doing the same thing there in Chicago, in New York, in Atlanta, and all yeah. in Europe, you know, in Oslo and, um, 
and uh, and in uh, in Dublin, Ireland, and and now you know we've we've had programs throughout Asia, and um, we're in Africa now. Actually, that's a, a really nice outcome. Is that there's a TechStars in Nigeria operating in Nigeria. Um, so you simply, as an entrepreneur, you apply to a TechStars that's your first choice and your second choice, and you submit a. Uh, an application, uh, which is usually a video of your team and your pro and a product demo and some basic information about the company, and the different TechStars uh, accelerators have a look. And sometimes um, the, there's a theme. Like the, some of the TechStars, quite a number of them have a vertical industry theme. So it might be on payments. So we've run those with MoneyGram and previously with Western Union, or it might be in healthcare. And we've run that with, you know, United Health in the past and 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 uh, Cedar Sinai Hospital in the past, like with healthcare institutions, um, or it might be, you know, in pure banking. And we've had a series of those with like AB and Amro, and, and previously with Barclays Bank, and done them with Disney and and uh, Target for a retail retail accelerator. So so sometimes they have a vertical focus, and other times they have. Uh, basically call it an entrepreneur focus where it's like we're not as concerned what industry you're in but who who the founders are and yeah. whether it's a nice fit with our network so okay. we're one of those so we we just take the best companies we can find no, no matter where they're from i see that was going to be my next question yeah. which is like is there a specific industry or focus yeah. that you focus on but yeah no well no good question but i think with uh when like i do think a lot about what what we have to offer the company. So I do sit in Canada. I live in Toronto. Yeah. And we have some strengths in this ecosystem in tech. So we all hear about AI, right? And a lot of uh, amazing capacity and research excellence and entrepreneurs and companies and large corporations that are adopting AI and machine learning. So that's a good theme. Uh, banking and finance and fintech, like the kind of um, content you create uh, in, that, in that sector, really relevant because we're a major financial center, um, you know, top 10 in the world. And it's a very, um, uh, it's a very well-rounded sector. It has wealth management, public equities, private debt, um, banking, neobanks, you know, global, global payments, remittances, like loyalty. We have lots of sectors that are included in the financial industry here, and we have a lot of software developers, and I think that makes Toronto a bit unusual. The de the the co density of um, banking uh, leadership positions, like decision making, and like large you know large and mid sized small banking or financial services companies, and software engineering. So we have a lot of people here that are have high capacity as programmers and went to school or moved here, and so you have that density in one downtown. So you can create lots of fintech here. So we like fintech, but we like other sectors as well, e-commerce, logistics, um, even sometimes hardware and uh, food tech. Um, so yeah, we're- I we're guess just, the one vertical, which is in the name, obviously just tech companies, like yeah. you're not gonna invest in a DTC brand. DTC like, can be good. We have one coming in now, as long as it's it's like tech enabled, as yeah. long as it's online, <laughs> uh, you know, not a not a pure bricks and mortar retail play, but there aren't as many of those now. And they there seems to be tech yeah. in almost every, industry. Look at real estate and construction. We ha we're seeing that. Uh, talent itself, like the actual mobility of people, um, making that easier and better, faster, more accurate. Um, I think human beings are the real currency of like global um, upward mobility of nations and economies. It's the people that choose to go to places. I think now the, the countries have to compete for the best people. And yep. even countries that are sitting kind of close to the top of the uh, popularity list, um, like ours, I think we have a lot of work to do to actually attract the best people to Canada and uh, 
and it's uh, a little concerning because a lot of those people on their own want to come here. So we should make it make it easier for the best to come here as opposed to just you know the numbers, the the, ab the abstract numbers themselves. Yeah, one of the questions that I want to ask you is it's kind of out there, but what are your thoughts on remote work? I know there's been some interesting yeah. takes in the tech world with yeah. like Elon Musk saying something like it's immoral for you to yeah. work remotely. What do you think about yeah. that as an investor working with these startups all the time and investing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say I've taken full advantage of remote work. Like <laughs> I, I personally have. I've, I've seen that. OK, this is this suits my my style, my my kind of like the way I manage my calendar and my sleep patterns and this and that. I do feel like it comes at a greater um, uh, amount of personal time, like the amount of work that is happening now, at least from my own personal personal um, um, story, is more than I've can I feel is is reasonable. I think it's all like an always on, yeah. but um, in our case, because we're such a global business, I don't see much of an alternative than to be remote. But when we run these accelerators, we actually have just made a decision very recently to go back into a really vibrant tech hub. We used to be in WeWork for the first few years of TechStars Toronto. Mm -hmm. And then post-pandemic, um, we were making a decision what to do. Uh, we've had some nice space in a smaller co-working uh, business that we love called Workhouse. And now for this batch, because we're having a large batch, we've decided to go into the 111 co-working space, which is quite vibrant and quite yeah. big. And we're going to go in there and we're going to encourage like a true hybrid style. So we're going to give every, every one of our startups a, a desk and a free access and encouragement to come in there as much as they like. But of course, we'll have a lot of online meetings as well. So we're going to mix it up and that'll help the people who aren't actually able to come in person for the whole time due to travel or even visas themselves to get here. But we're going to, you know, yeah. but I think remote is very efficient, especially for things like accelerators where you have a high volume of uh, timed meetings that have a tendency to go over when you're having a live meeting, you know, in a room with, you know, 50, 50 people, 50 uh, meetings, 50 tables, those meetings can drag on. Um, and it's hard to keep managing them. But Zoom and online, it's, it's time. The screen's going to end. You, you've got to go back in the main room. So, uh, and I feel like the, the uh, mentorship um, aspect of it is quite good on, you know, doing it remotely. That kind of leads into my next question, which is like, with all these investments, you made 76 direct investments um, with Techstars. How do you keep track yeah. of all your investments yeah. and like manage all these different yeah. Yeah, things going on? So it's going to hit 100 by next week. In fact, it's well over 76 because this new batch of 24, yeah. we've mostly made our offers there. So I think you can safely say I'm currently thinking of 95, <laughs> 96 different companies that I have some you know level of responsibility to, either I have ongoing existing like responsibilities too as alumni from our programs, or I'm about to have you know present and future obligations too. So that's a lot. A hundred companies. Congrats and, on hitting a hundred. You know, thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite a it's quite a number. I didn't really expect that, but but your question is a very good one, and I and I don't actually know the best answer to it. It's. Um, it's, and as we get older, you know, it gets harder and harder to remember all the details and all the fine points of uh, what's what's involved with a different business. And companies, some people are, I shouldn't say companies because this is really people. Some people are very good at updates and, you know, sharing what you need to know without having to ask. So those those people, I love those people because, you know, it makes my job relatively easier. I know, I kind of know what's going on, the good and the bad. And, and the, lately there's quite a bit of bad across all the world of tech. So, and you know, Toronto's no no different. 
But for the ones who, uh, and it's reasonable and, and as to why everyone's busy and struggling and striving and some, some things are going great and some terribly, they don't always update. So then you have to kind of reach out and, um, and sort of inquire and then see how you can help. But it gets getting, it's a cumulative thing and 100 is a big number, so I don't know. But we, luckily at Techstars, we have a large, organ, a large team around us and we have, um, we have portfolio services, you know, people that are supposed to help the companies after the programs are done and we have like lots of lawyers that help with legal things and marketing people that can help with that, with, you know, announcements and whatnot, so. So resources yeah. just get distributed. A little bit, but it's a lot of it is, is, you know, relying on the local accelerator. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's a challenge. I know the market conditions um, in tech, just in general, but in tech are very stringent right now. How are you navigating yeah. it? And like, what advice would you have to founders, investors, yeah. people in Toronto and globally yeah. on like how to navigate this yeah. market? Yeah. So one thing I won't say to people is just do it, you know, just keep trying. It's going to work out. I will not like sugarcoat the difficulty of doing startups. And I actually feel quite badly for a lot of founders who have just gone at it for too long. And it's, it comes at great, you know, personal cost and financial cost and it affects people's health and relationships and everything. So it's really, a, it's an important decision to make, uh, whether you even should try to do these tech companies or to continue doing them, okay? Um, but for those who are committed and steadfast in their resolve to build, you know, innovation uh, through, through their startups and their companies, then, you know, the resiliency is, is the factor, especially when you're taking other people's money. Um, you know, that's real money that investors are investing. So there's a responsibility that comes with that. It's, not, it's beyond just you. So, um, you know, just being uh, creative with, uh, with funding, um, definitely trying to prolong, you know, the use of money, like the burn rate, slow it down, be very core focused. There's ways to cut costs um, now more than previously with remote work, as you mentioned, um, with uh, not just offices, but actually workers like talent they can be very distributed and and be part of a company um, maybe working and living in a lower cost place but yet they're very high performing a lot of companies are, are embracing that as a new model um, and then just you know focusing on on uh, on sales and uh, actually driving revenue yeah so austerity measures and just keep it going there's a quote by naval that i really like when it comes to entrepreneurship and he says something along the lines of like with starting a business and being a startup founder, it's like you bleed a little every day yeah. and like it's something that most people can't handle, but yeah. you're expecting that to pay off in five, 10, however many years. Yeah. So that bleeding feels to be like that. It's, it's really showing now as opposed to the past two, two three years yeah. in the market. So Yeah, and I think it comes down to your own like risk assessment. Like is this something that you can take on the risk at your stage of life? your own financial well-being, mm -hmm. your responsibilities, um, and your abilities yourself. Like, is this company truly as differentiated as you think it is? Are you, yeah. are you actually capable of doing the amount of work that you need to do in terms of even your own skills? Like, are you a software developer? Are you actually up to par with the kind of code development that's going to be needed here, or do you have it? Um, are you really adept at sales and selling this, you know, this product, this software where it needs to go? Are you ready to fly those flights and, you know, do those meetings and raise capital and uh, tell the story? Like, it's not for everybody. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you, I meet, I look at founders and I kind of try to psychoanalyze them a little bit and get ahead of like, okay, is this person, is this man or woman, 
introverted or extroverted? Are they, are they gonna be able to drive sales, tell this story, are they charismatic? Um, will they get supporters and, and believers or will they attract you know, detractors, right? Um, because that can become the part of the outcome, right? And, um, and so that's one of the things I like about that Founder Institute pre-accelerator is it's a really hard program to finish. Only about a third of the people finish it. And the, the other two thirds drop out because they just aren't performing. And it's just a, basically every week there's like a little bit of attrition and it's a, you know, 13 weeks long. And you have these massive assignments you have to do every week. You have to pitch every week. You have to legally incorporate your company if you haven't done that. Uh, you have to go interview, you know, 100 um, potential clients over the course of a weekend and document those interviews and summarize them and submit that. So these are things I don't see a, a lot of um, pre-accelerator um, hubs doing that. I don't see them like pushing it that hard because the outcome is as many, it's great that you finish it and you're now like a graduate, you have a, like a little startup and it's, it's a, incorporated and you can talk about it, I guess. But I like the two thirds or more of people who didn't do it <laughs> because those, I feel like, oh, you, you probably have like looking ahead five, 10 years, you're, you might have a, you might be the real winner here. You might have a better life. You might've taken a job at you know, a really high paying firm. Look at our, look at our service industry, how well paid jobs are in finance, in consulting, in government, um, in regulatory bodies. Like there's a great pay. And, um, and you know, that's what you need to afford the kind of crazy house prices and cost of living we have here. So I'm not sure the startup founders are serving themselves well by going in all in at all costs until, until the, until it's either too late or they just can't do it anymore. Mm, that's interesting you say that because you invest this is what you deal with like yeah. all the time so like yeah. yeah I'm just in on that topic like it is a risk but again there's successes that once and if you do succeed yeah. you'll get to a point where the person that took the job will never do because you were you took so on so much risk Sure, but it doesn't mean there'll be wealth at the end of it. First of all, salaries in the Canadian tech industry are quite a bit lower than you see in the U.S. That is something that I'm very aware of yeah. from doing my channel yeah. and talking yeah. to people about their income and career. Right. We are very underpaid here. Yeah, and, and our cost of living is higher. Which is crazy. So, right, so you're, not, you're looking at a city that has, it has there's a lot of buzz on, on Toronto and a lot of you know, great respect we have the collision conference coming up on the, after the weekend, as we might talk about that, which is a proof of our of our presence on the world stage of tech. But um, you know, I, I look at the city and I think you know the cost of living is just obscene. Like the like I'm dealing with a lot of international founders who are trying to move here for a period of time, and they're coming from like countries where they have a you know a local currency that's quite under stress, let's say. And when they when they come here and they convert their let's call it Nigerian Naira or Pakistani rupees um, or Brazilian Rai to Canadian dollars and then start to like try to lease a short-term rental on Airbnb for a few months or half a year. It is wild what the prices are. And even with funding, it's not necessarily enough to just survive here. And then the local talent pool, sure, they're, you know, I think doing, doing great work and lots of opportunities, but the salaries are not as high as I think people might think they are, and they seem lower than what they are in major U.S. centers for sure. And the cost of living is continuing to increase. So I wanted to ask you about another asset class because I'm assuming you invest and diversify. So startups and companies is one asset class. An asset class I want to ask you about is like real estate here and globally. Just yeah. 
what's your take on Toronto's housing market versus, I don't know if you invest globally, just tell me more about your thoughts on that. Well, obviously it's been like the place to have money is in real estate in this country in the last 25 years. Um, when I was a university student, I, I got lucky and my parents, I talked them into helping me buy a very small condo in near the University of Toronto. And I wish I owned it to this day. It's had to sell it and, you know, buy something else over over time, just trying to like, you know, um, just move on with life, I guess. But um, owning a home is, I think, an, I think it's proven to be a, a great investment decision 99 times out of 100. Um, now, when it, deciding on today, like, is it, is, it a, is it a great idea? I'm not sure that's an easy question to answer. It's nuanced. Maybe, maybe it is. Depends for what use, where it is, how much you know, can you afford? Are you getting it underpriced or bidding? Like, I don't know. But there's still like a drive for, you know, people moving here. And Toronto's a pretty happening place. And there's some other cities in Canada that have a lot of attraction. So I think those cities, you know, real estate is, but it's very expensive. So um, I kind of think globally when I look at emerging markets and and other cities around the world, I feel like they're there could be a real estate wave happening like what we saw here in many cities around the world. And I'm intrigued. I don't know how to exactly invest in those markets, but I'm intrigued by things like the relative prices of the asset, like a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment in, a, let's say, a newly built building in the business district of a major, you know, the top 25 or top 50 global cities. Um, I, I'm curious. I always, I'm find, very interested in those pricing and then how you compare it to like um, ex- I mean, the exchange rate based on like our dollars, if we're buying it as a Canadian or as an American, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some currencies that have been collapsing. So like real estate is becoming like more and more affordable, I guess, on a dollar, on a, on a exchange rate adjusted basis. But in local currency, like are those prices increasing? So I am intrigued by um, these populations where I see lots of entrepreneurs, so like in African cities, like in Lagos or in Accra, Ghana or Nairobi, Kenya, right? Or maybe in Cape Town, South Africa or Kigali, Rwanda. Those are just some names of cities that I happen to have um, founders that I talk to all the time. And I'm sort of learning about what's going on in those, in those cities, in those countries in terms of like tech and young populations and more innovation and just, you know, really nice, you know, business developments that are happening. And in India and in Pakistan and like in Brazil, Rio, and you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by how to invest in those cities. And I think now there are these tech models where you can sort of do it. You can buy fractional ownership in properties, pre-development. You can buy like, you know, blockchain type of real estate investments. Um, you can invest directly in the emerging markets and have the property managed by um, a, a tech company that will, you know, lease it to uh, people who are upwardly mobile young professionals who are like working moving to cities for great jobs it's often in tech we have one in uh, in nigeria called small small and um i think in fact if they get their visa hopefully they'll be in toronto this weekend but they're trying to sell uh real estate to african expats who should be interested and know that the you know there is an there is a real estate market back home where they immigrated from and they may want to participate in it but they don't want to manage the property so they can buy the property at a discount from the developer and then have it managed by this tech company and the rent will be collected and you'll be paid and maybe make a small um, cap rate, you know, return, and then maybe that property will be worth more in five or ten years because the overall economy and you know is improving in, in a lot of places. So I'm more intrigued by the international real estate opportunity than I am in like the you know, Canada, <laughs> yeah. Toronto. Yeah, yeah, no, because it seems like 
Canada is at like a very mature state, whereas these other emerging economies are like, you might get a better bang for your buck. Yeah. Or lack of better words. But yeah, it's very interesting the situation we have here in terms of like low pay, high cost of living and austerity measures are definitely the only way to do it. Like I'm just from me talking to people um, from entrepreneurs to even salaried people that are working these consultant jobs everyone seems to be struggling in one way or another so it's very interesting um you did mention collision so collision conference is happening in five days um this upcoming monday and you had a hand to play in bringing it here so how was that process if you just want to tell me more about sure yeah yeah it's coming it's looking great we were just i was just debriefing with uh Patty Cosgrave this afternoon at lunch. Just uh, the conference is looking like it'll be well attended. Lots of good startups. There's like, you know, more than 1,000 unique startups that'll have booths and will be able to be discovered over there. Um, hundreds of investors, um, hundreds of media journalists, um, and just, de- you know, partners and attendees in the tens of thousands. So very big event. Um, I like it. I, I, I believe what, what you know, help motivated me to even be involved in just like trying to get it here was that I I found myself traveling to where it was as a Canadian I would book a flight and go to what you know web summit in in originally in Dublin and then Lisbon uh, collision was in new it was in Las Vegas originally and then it was in New Orleans I would go to it um, and I thought you know Canada's trying to tell a story like we're not necessarily the world's greatest marketers right and so we have a good story, but we don't necessarily tell it. The best way to tell it is have people come and experience it. So, you know, you can try to build a conference locally and, and somehow, you know, sell tickets to people all around the world and expect them to come. Or you just bring a global conference to Canada and they'll tell the people to come. So I, there is an aspect of that that's happened at Collision, which I think is good. And it's also this year I'm, I'm uh, amazed at the amount of side events that are happening. So there's all these parties and cocktails and dinners and breakfasts and lunches and seminars, workshops yeah. happening all throughout the city. And someone that I know, a Techstars alumni actually, Michael Liu, he's been capturing them and, and publishing them in this like spreadsheet that's been circulated amongst everybody. <laughs> so even people who aren't going to Collision itself, like the conference, they, yeah. you know, they're going to hit up, they could go to five to 25 um private events or, or more if they can handle it. Yeah, it's becoming very prominent because like you see the signs all across Toronto and I have like friends that are not very involved in the tech space at all. And they're like, what is this collision right. sign at like Trinity Park? And then like it's becoming a real thing. So what goes into organizing an event of that scale and size? Like I can only imagine getting all these different companies together, the space, the venue. How is that process? Just walk me through a little. Well, it's a, I mean, to the credit to the collision, it's, it's a company out of our, uh, I think it's still headquartered in Ireland, but, yeah. uh, but, and yeah, well, it is headquartered in Ireland and then there's like, they have teams in Lisbon and in Hong Kong and in, um, London and in Toronto, I, I think now in Rio, Brazil, um, it's a conference tech company and these guys, this is like their profession. These people are just amazing at booking speakers and the logistics of a large event. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's like kind of like a music festival or something. Like people know how to put that on. Yeah. They they know it. I help a bit on this side, you know, with a bit of the intel on what's going on here. And mm-hmm. um, but I'm I'm there to attend. I'm there to like, you know, discover more startups. Um, I was in Brazil for the Web Summit 
uh, Rio just a few weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago. Um, and I found a, at least one company that I just, you know, discovered on the show floor. And now they're moving to Toronto like this weekend. That's amazing. Um, and it's a great company. It's in the mental health space. And uh, I think that founder is going to really, you know, he's going to do well here. Because I'm, again, I'm looking at his personality and his team's personality. And I feel it's, it's a bit different than the typical, like, you know, standard type of founder profile. So he's going to stand out. And I think that's going to be a positive, you know, at least one positive aspect of building this company. That's something you mention a lot, which is like when you're talking about these founders, like you, you really take a look at the, them and their team yeah. and like, it, the, does that play just as important of a factor as what they do or more so? I think more so at this stage because mm-hmm. things change, pivots, are, are they, are they going to be able to adapt when, when uh, things aren't going as planned? Are they going to manage their team, their co-founders, their to some extent, their personal lives, like it all comes into this pressure of tech companies because at the beginning, the money's not there, right? Yep. There's not, there's not, I don't see the big salaries or people like getting, living a, uh, like a, a high dis- highly disposable income life here. Yeah. Now there's a kind of a myth with that where people think that like startup founders and entrepreneurs is very gra- glamorized on yeah. social media. And it's like this yeah. like lifestyle of like, First class plane tickets, yeah. these big conferences, you get to meet like investors yeah. where the reality couldn't be further from the truth yeah. from what I'm yeah. seeing. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting, like that dynamic. Yeah. Of, like, and even for investors, I mean, my gosh, some people think it's like, it's get rich quick. It's maybe at best get rich very slow, <laughs> like very slow, if, if ever. So I know you took a kind of non-traditional path to becoming an investor and like bringing all these international companies like... Your story is very unique in the sense of like you worked in government and then um, you started investing kind of like when you went to San Diego. So if someone wanted to become an investor, I know it's not like a linear path, but what advice would you give as someone who's very prominent tech investor in Toronto and globally? Okay. Well, I've seen a few routes. I've seen, um, I think more in the past, it was people who had finance jobs. You know, they worked in banking and then this is kind of an asset class. Like you could define it as basically private equity. So you could do large private equity buyouts or really small companies where you're investing, you know, Mm $100,000 for some shares. That's that's a private equity um, uh, transaction. So some people who do finance, they study finance, they take jobs in these funds directly. Um, I've noticed that in Canada, particularly, there's a lot of um, kind of nonprofit organizations or impact type organizations that are on the uh, in, in the innovation space. So they're like large uh, hubs, like innovation hubs, yeah. and they employ a lot of people. It seems like there's a lot of staff there, and uh, some of those jobs are related to uh, sourcing startups and helping companies with you know aspects of their business. I think that actually is a skill set that's the, similar to the skill set that you would use if you had your own VC fund and you're investing in startups and maybe even mid-stage companies. So you can get that experience in places, uh, often places that have government uh, support. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the number one way um, strategy would be to be an entrepreneur, like build a company, uh, run it for as long as you can, take it to where you can go, and then, and then see. Just today, I had lunch with the two, uh, two of the three co-founders of the media company, The Peak, and I, and it was in the news just uh, two weeks ago for yeah. being acquired. And you know, I was just having lunch with them, uh, learning about their story and what their what their motivation was to build it. And it's really like a great 
um, experience in just a, you know two three years to take a company and exit it, and I'm sure they're going to be like doing something again. Um, and sometimes people end up um, you know doing becoming investors or joining angel groups or you know investing some of their own money. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's the definition of an angel, right? Investing your own money, whereas a VC is investing other people's money. Yeah. Um, and there's a bit more, um, I guess, attention you probably would pay if it's your own money that you're investing in the company. But ultimately, you're in, you're you're investing in this asset class of startups, and it's kind of an interesting um, asset class and one that I think, even with this downturn that we're seeing, like in the last while. I believe that we're on cycles of innovation and and I think it's important for people who are looking at their money, like a big picture of their financial assets and investment strategy to have a little bit in this asset class, which is like startups. Yeah. And it's it's possible to do it. You can invest in a fund like a Techstars directly, become like an LP. You can invest in deals directly, um, syndicated in your, your joining. Um, you can create your own syndicates on these like platforms, um, or you just angel invest as part of a group, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, build a portfolio. Yeah, it seems like one of those professions that doesn't have like a linear path. Like, for example, being a lawyer, you, there's a very set path. Like, yeah. this is what you have to do. You have to yeah. pass this. But with this, there's like so many routes you could take. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's an interesting um, field. One of the things I wanted to ask before we're, mm-hmm. we're reaching a time to wrap up, but I know the big um, topic in tech space is AI. Yeah. So we've seen companies that are raising ridiculous valuations very fast. What has been your experience as a pre-seed investor mm-hmm. in the AI space? Have you made any investments? What are your thoughts on where we're heading with this technology mm-hmm. in one, two, three, five years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we've hit, we've done some AI investing. Although I think what's happened in the last six months is is the paradigm shift with all the Interesting prompt engineering uh, can be done in get, getting these kind of outcomes that were just it almost seems magic. Um, but so we just finished a big in, a big uh, recruitment for tech stars, and I didn't really see the sheer number of these new like oh we're a regenerative chat company doing this or you know in any industry vertical like legal or accounting or design you know th- those are they exist but it wasn't that I got you know, every second application was on that topic, <laughs> which I actually, I don't know how I feel about that because I definitely want to find those companies. It seems very exciting. I don't profess to understand how this industry is going to work or whether these companies are actually viable businesses on their own or they're just like features for something else or what's going to happen to the incumbent companies that are there to build websites or answer customer queries or, you know, do, do like kind of content creation. I don't know. These are, they all look like they're at risk. Because um, you can quickly create some pretty nice um, AI products from these yeah. these chat experiences. So, um, but you know, Toronto is a place where this should be. Uh, uh, we should expect to see some you know really strong companies to come out of the city. If we don't, I'm, I feel that's a that should be disappointing to all of us, particularly with all the investment in AI that we've done here, like through governments, like through Vector and through the universities and some of the research labs and companies themselves. So I'm hoping, I expect to see some good outcomes of this and we'd be happy to, to be investing in some of them ourselves. Have you seen with like your current companies them adopting AI, even in a way of like, for software developers, I've seen like them use ChatGPT to, it's not perfect yet, but to accelerate or help build features where like now one engineer can do the work of two, three 
Have you seen that at all in your company? A little bit. I've seen it in some of your area, like content creation, like yeah. writing the actual like social content. Yeah, that's a little trade secret, something that I've been using a lot where like, like even for preparing, I kind of have a conversation with ChatGPT or Bard or what have you. It seems like there's a new one popping up. Is that what up. you're doing right now? <laughs> I won't lie. I did do it for nice. some of our questions. Well, it I, works. I, I chat GPT <laughs> some of, you know, I was just like, what What should I ask yeah. a prolific investor? Like, yeah. And it really gives you like, it's like I tell it your background and it. It's a conversation. It gives you some very valid, amazing, proper yeah. content. So Yeah. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> wild that this is do Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe you. So. And even like design mock-ups and, you know, like basic website landing pages and, and social assets. Like it's, this stuff, this stuff is now doable. You don't necessarily have to be too stressed that you can create that or have, you know, seven, eight employees. So you're, there's another opportunity to save some money, but I, there's a downside to this. Those jobs aren't necessarily um, going to be, um, you know, remade instantly. So I, I think it's, it piggybacks off it, but now one designer can do like I don't know if you saw like the Photoshop one. I'm very like in the space of like watching all these demos, yeah. like Galileo, which is the one that like does the UI for apps and stuff. And like it's we're so early that like in a year or two, Lord knows, like yeah. one person can build yeah. <laughs> a company that's worth one, two, three, four, ten million dollars with just using these tools. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's very interesting. Um I want to get into this rapid fire round where I just ask you a bunch of questions, rapid fire, quick answers. Um, so we'll just get started on that. And okay. All right. So first question is, who's a person you trade places with for a day? Mm. I would, oh, I would trade maybe with. Prime Minister Trudeau, just to make a few quick changes, and then I'll flip back to the seat. <laughs> a few policy adjustments. I won't ask what changes, but what's a guilty pleasure of yours? Um, I think like a nice scotch, a nice uh, single malt, or a nice um, Oban. What's the best compliment that you've ever gotten? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I think some somewhat just related to uh, helping entrepreneurs in regions that I, I didn't necessarily know, know that that was noticed so somewhere as far away as Africa where I have spent like no time of my life mm -hmm. I have made some real connections with people that have just kind of discovered the work and they just feel uh, appreciative of it so they let me know usually as a as a as a message as an email and I, I, I save those yeah. okay that's amazing what's the worst piece of advice you've ever got I think my dad was who was not a he's an academic and I, I had business interests and he kind of steered me away from it as a school, like as a junior high school student when I was talking about things like accounting and banking. And he just thought that's a, that's a terrible idea. It's boring. You, who, bookkeeping, he called it a book. You don't want to be a bookkeeper. And I didn't, I didn't know better. And we didn't know the word commerce because the degrees were called Bachelor of Commerce. And I think to him, he didn't really, res that word didn't resonate. So as a result, I, I didn't get the positive signal that I was expecting. So I didn't study business. I feel like if I did, from day one, that would have been my calling. So it was just probably not to study uh, commerce was worst advice for me. What's something you wish you were better at? Um, well, reading. So I, I love the I, I love going to bookstores and and keeping up on authors and and uh, kind of you know the book list. And but I don't make the time to actually you know I'll buy the books sometimes. But I won't necessarily read them. So that's something I have to work on. And what never fails to make you laugh. 
I think watching the original Hangover. Anytime I watch that movie, <laughs> like it just kills me. I that watched it like so last, last week. <laughs> All right, that pretty much wraps up our podcast. If there's anything else you want to share or say, just any last remarks. No, I hope you're. I hope you're coming to Collision. Yeah, I'll I'll be there filming. Yeah. <laughs>